Live from the betting capital of the world. Vegas, baby, Vegas! It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. It's Tuesday here in Sin City. Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels joining you. Welcome to Wager Talk on the Sports Grid TV Network. Welcome, Zumo viewers on Channel 719. Welcome to all of you listening via your favorite podcast app. This is your Sports Channel for Betters. I'm Teddy Covers at Teddy underscore Covers on Twitter. Joined like I am every day by my co host, Ralph Michaels at Cal Sports LV on Twitter. Let's get right into it. We like to start the show with what we call BBBBBB, bad beats, bad bets, bad for the books. We'll take a look back at what happened last night. And that, of course, means a little Monday night football recap. And lo and behold, the national media is interested now. Jay Gruden watch is on. The Jay Gruden watch was on before the season. Jay Gruden was the favorite to be the first head coach fired. If you looked at the Redskins roster going to the campaign, you say Jay Gruden might be the first coach fired. Pretty ugly first half for the Redskins. 28-0 before oh, Washington woke up. It was never a game, Ralph. And pretty easy if you had the Bears. Pretty easy if you had the over last night. Yeah, it was. And, you know, Teddy, we're going to end this show today talking about looking at box scores in college football. But this is a prime example, and I want people to remember this game as we move to the end of our segment and, and talking about that, where this is a game where you could throw the box score out. Washington had more first downs. Washington had more yards. If you're going to get pick sixes, if you're going to get set up with great field position, if your offense is going to be on the field so many fewer plays because your defense has performed so well, this is one time where the box score doesn't mean anything. Bears dominated much more than the 16-point final score. And when you see misleading box scores, and they'll happen every week, over the course of the season, the markets kind of forget. Uh, and you see teams with statistical profiles that do not correspond well with their current form. That's something I love to look for as a better. Maybe the number one thing I like to look for is teams who have misleading stats compared to how they're playing. The Redskins certainly one of those teams uh, early on. Let's do a little prop shop recap. You went through a bunch of props on yesterday's show. Defensive special teams touchdown. Yes. Ha ha. Clinton Dix uh, brings it home uh, for Chicago. And if you met the yes on that prop, there was no sweat. You got that one early, Ralph. Yeah, you sure did. And, you know, I didn't think there was value with it. But uh, the Bears defense was just electric last night. I mean, it was, you know, we've seen back-to-back performances by the defense with the Rams and the Bears on primetime games where, you know, we've seen elite defenses with two of the best players with Donald for the Rams and uh you know, and and last night the, the the Bears group. I I think that you know it's a prop you have to be cautious of when you're going to play, but uh, cashing it that early is is a blast. Yeah, and frankly, you know, a team like the Bears that you can put the yes <laughs> on the will they score a defensive or special teams touchdown in this ball game at a nice plus price was an easy cash, obviously in that one. Both quarterbacks fly over the total with touchdown passes at plus prices. You know, one and a half for Trubisky, one and a half for Keenum. Keenum gets two. Trubisky gets three. So easy over there. And both quarterbacks threw an interception. If you bet the yes on those props, you did well uh, last night with the QB over touchdowns and the yes, INTs. 
Yeah, and again, it, it depends how the game plays out. You know, if the game's closer, the Bears don't get out to that early lead. They're trying to run Montgomery more. But with Montgomery and the lead, you know, the Redskins had to, had to try to do something defensively. And then Case Keenum, any any quarterback that's down 28 nothing is usually going to get his yards. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and his touchdowns, which he did last night. Uh, talking about the running backs, David Montgomery snuck over. Uh, Chris Thompson stayed under, and Adrian Peterson didn't have a touchdown. AP's a guy who continues to get attention from betters and media folks, not a guy who's having a big impact on the field at this stage of his career. Well, 12 attempts for 37 yards, and we saw, I mean, if you watch the game, the sideline reporter even had made a note. They were down near the goal line, and Thompson was in, and they were saying how pissed AP was to not be in there. So, you know, you're getting... You know, when AP used to be able to count on him from the one, boom, we're going to hand it off to him. He's not even in the lineup at that point with the Redskins offensive schemes. You made a point on yesterday's show, Ralph, to say your favorite prop was Allen Robinson over four and a half catches. That was easy. Robinson caught six. Nice winner with the Bears. One of the Bears playmakers at wide receiver. Yeah, a couple people reached out on Twitter that watched the Sports Grid show and and mentioned that they played that. Again, I looked at Robinson because not how many receptions he had the first two games, 11, but how many targets he had the first two games at 20. Seven targets, had five catches in the first half, only had one in the second half. Uh, you know, Gabriel really was the go-to receiver, but Robinson's always going to get his targets. Yeah, so, and again, we appreciate all the comments on Twitter. Uh, whatever you guys got, even if we don't, I'm not great at responding. I'll be honest. I got a lot of stuff going on, but I'll read everything you say, whether you love us or hate us. We appreciate any feedback that you give us, however you want to give it. Uh, seven combined sacks for the two teams. Longest field goal stays under yada, yada. That's enough of prop recap. Let's get into some news for today. Number one, the Washington Cougars quarterback, senior quarterback, Eric King just quit the team after the one and three start. The senior wide receiver quit the team as well. Both guys saying, well, we might be back, but maybe we'll answer in the transfer protocol. The markets have reacted. Houston was minus two at North Texas. Now North Texas is a six and a half point favorite against Houston. You did say Washington the first time. It is the Houston Cougars, uh, j- just to, for that correction. But you know what? I think we all talked about how the new redshirt rules where you could play four games at any point in the season is going to help coaches play. Well, just like Le'Veon Bell was the first to sit out in the NFL last year, De'Ara King is the first to say, well, hey, I want to reset. I have I have that redo with my redshirt season. I played four games. I am still eligible. I'm going to display my options. He's going to open a door for many more people to make that same decision. Sure. And it's, I mean, it really is. When you want to talk about writing on the wall, a bad sign for a football team. When your senior quarterback with a new first-year head coach after four games and they're one and three, he decides, eh, I'm not so interested in this season. That's never a good sign for any of football team. We'll talk a lot more about college football coming up next here on Wager Talk. We've got a full breakdown of everything that happened, the news you need to know. Stay tuned here on Wager Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. It's time 
for a deep dive on a Tuesday. What we like to do is go through what happened in the NFL on Monday's show and do a deep dive into everything that you need to know that wasn't necessarily in the final score. Do the same thing on Tuesdays for college football. We'll call it what we learned. And the first thing we learned, again, we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show in the Handicapping 101 segment at the end. Betting skills matter. All right. Clemson, Charlotte. Didn't matter which side you had in that game. You're supposed to win or push. If you lost a wager in that game, it's a problem because a line was right, uh, bounced around between uh, 41 and a half, 42, 42 and a half. They win by 42. West Virginia, Kansas. Whichever side you had in that game, you're supposed to win. At a worst push. If you lost a bet, West Virginia, Kansas. It's a problem. It's something that you need to work on. Oklahoma State, Texas, another game where it didn't matter whether you had Oklahoma State or Texas, you're supposed to win both sides. That's the vulnerability of the lines maker. There was a ton of point spread drama on display this past Saturday, Ralph. Those betting skills really do matter. Well, just this past week, Teddy, you know, there were uh, there were eight games. Some of them you talked about uh, where there was a one-point difference, so a half-point or a one-point difference in the line. And let me add that there were also, so far this year, there have been 14 totals which have been off by a half or a point from the line. So, again, when you're looking at database numbers, it matters what number you put in the database. And the database I use We simply put in the number where we believe most people can bet the game. So it's not an early rogue number that opened up and moved. It's not a late Hawaii number. There are some times where a Hawaii game on Saturday night can move two or three points because everyone's betting the favorite, wanting some action for a late game. So these numbers are basically what we call, you know, not a consensus line, but a line where we think most people can bet them. So there are some times you're not going to be able to get the best line. Hey, if you bet a game and you missed the line early, that's fine. But the, the, the lesson here is just make sure you shop. Make sure you listen to our line mover segments. We often talk. There are there are books that are leading indicators if a line's going to move for a favorite or a dog. And you know, making yourself more knowledgeable is gonna is gonna save you three to four complete game bets by the end of the year. Well, exactly. If you turn two losses out of a hundred into pushes and turn two pushes out of a hundred into wins, you'll be shocked at what that does to your bottom line. All you're doing is, I mean, uh, two L's are P's and two P's are W's, and it has an enormous impact on your percentage and on your return on investment over the long term. Shop for lines. Take advantage of the offers that we talk about right here on Wager Talk every day. If you have one account, open a second. If you have two, open a third. If you have four, open six more. You need to be able to line shop. The other thing you need to be able to do is get some of these underdogs on the money line. And Saturday was a big day for some big dogs. San Jose State wins straight up at plus 18 and a half. UCLA with a comeback for the ages at plus 18. Buffalo wins his two touchdown underdogs. Pitt wins outright. SMU wins outright. Colorado wins outright. All those teams were were underdogs of eight points or higher, Ralph. And they weren't the only upsets on the board. I haven't even mentioned Auburn A&M. I'll say that for a few minutes from now. 
Yeah, you know, in all, there uh, there were a four more upsets, and I, you know, I tweet this out every Monday as well. I only look at upsets as a team that's a three point dog or higher. There's a lot of one and two lines where the line goes back and forth. You know, the biggest upsets year to date: Citadel knocked off Georgia Tech, Georgia State beat Tennessee, Kansas over Boston College. Those were all 19 and a half, 24, and 26 point favorites. And there's a lot of times I get responses on Twitter and people say, hey, I made a mistake. I bet the game. I wanted too much volume. I wanted some action. For all our new viewers, I'll tell you what, there is nothing better than taking a small $10 bet, betting couple dogs that you think have a chance to win outright. They don't have to be 20-point dogs. They could be four or five-point dogs or a touchdown dog. Take a couple dogs, parlay them together, and all of a sudden a $10 bet can get you a $100 payoff. It gives you action. It gives you potential for a big payoff. It keeps you from betting games that you shouldn't be betting, and it keeps you within your budget of having a fun wager or your legitimate bets where there's value on a game. That's excellent advice from Ralph Michaels, some advice that I wholeheartedly concur with. When it comes to sportsbook vulnerability and liability, the underdog money line parlay is right at or near the top of their list. It's something that pro bettors can and do use on a weekly basis, especially this time of the year in college football where there's been some early season results, but we don't know yet how good a lot of these teams really are. For example, Texas A&M. Well, we kind of know now, Ralph. Me and you argued all week about this game. Last week, I said the M in Mond is for mistake. The Aggies offense didn't work against that pretty good Auburn defense. Bo Nix made enough plays to get the job done for the road underdog. Well, yeah, you know, again, this is a game where Auburn, you look at the box score, Auburn had almost a 100-yard edge, 391 yards, 23 first downs compared to 16. But the way the flow of the game went, uh, you know, trailing like they were 14-3, to getting yards between the 20s is, is a scheme that a lot of teams use, and they don't mind giving up those yards. It's the red zone yards and uh, what you can do down in the red zone, scoring touchdowns instead of kicking field goals. So, uh, you know, AM, I didn't, you know, I dropped AM a little in my power ratings, but I moved up Auburn a couple notches. I, I was impressed with what their defense did. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a heck of a season in the SEC when you're going to have Auburn, LSU, and Bama uh, all facing each other coming down here in late October and November. Yeah, that should be a, a lot of fun. And one game that was a lot of fun on Saturday uh, was Notre Dame-Georgia. Very, In some ways, very similar to the meeting between the two teams in 2017. That was a 20-19 to final. This one, uh 23-17 final. Irish hang tough in that low-scoring scrum between the hedges. I didn't use this game, but I was on the wrong side of this game. I thought Georgia, with their with their size of their line, would be able to pull away. They weren't. I mean, uh, holding Georgia to 339 yards at home was something Notre Dame can hang their hat at. Holding Georgia to 152 yards rushing and 4.6 yards per carry. And, you know, uh, 187 pass yards to a quarterback. Ian Book struggled. But again, this is a Georgia defense on the road that had an electric atmosphere. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what the Irish do. Do they take this game and say, hey, listen, we hung with one of the best three teams in the country on the road. We had a shot to beat them. We are that good. 
or do they say, oh, our, our bubble burst, our national championship hopes are gone, the season's over. You know, they host a very good Virginia team. We'll talk more about that game later in the week. Sure. Uh, Florida State, they got a winning cover last week. They blew a big lead against Louisville and then righted the ship for the first time all year that we've seen Florida State play good football. Is this a buy sign on the Seminoles or is it just one of those games that things broke right for them after they blew that big lead early? Well, again, let's look at the competition. You're at home. You're playing a Louisville team that was horrible, but made the best coaching hire there was in Scott Satterfield. And yet you still only finished with a 112-point edge. So, yeah, the offense got going with 522 yards and 26 first downs, but there's still a concern on a defense that's allowing 466 yards per carry. So my two most surprising scores on Saturday, final scores, San Jose winning straight up at Arkansas. I did not see that coming. And Oregon winning and covering at Stanford in a game where they scored 21 points. You tell me the Ducks scored 21 before kickoff. I'm like, they're not covering. (laughs) Uh, And San Jose winning straight up. Those were both legitimate shockers for me. Ralph, what are your shockers from this past weekend? Or I know you've got some non-conference data that you want to share with our viewers. Well, you, you know, I, again, the San Jose game, there's no question. You're an SEC team at home in that situation to win. Uh, I'm surprised Arizona State. Colorado had gotten outgained each of their first three games. I'm surprised Colorado was able to move the ball like they did against Arizona State, even though it was only an eight-point upset. The eye test is something I didn't expect in that Pac-12 matchup. We'll be right back here on Wager Talk. Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Get in the game with DraftKings Sportsbook, where listeners and viewers of this show can get a deposit bonus up to $500. Here's how it works. One, create a DraftKings Sportsbook account. Two, make a deposit three place your first bet and DraftKings will match it with a 50% bonus up to $500 this offer is eligible for all users plus new users will get a risk-free bet of up to $200 just go to sportsgrid.com slash DK to play that's sportsgrid.com slash DK Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 21 and over. New Jersey only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See website for details. It's time for Big Game Breakdown here on Wager Talk. But before we get into it, Ralph, you put together some really pertinent data on what's happened in non-conference play in college football so far this season. Why don't you give us some highlights from your research and tell us what do we want to look for these non-conference games, even though, I mean, there's still going to be a good handful of them but, uh, over the course of the rest of the campaign, even though we've moved into conference season right now. Well, this is something I just tweeted out today, and I just went through and I did a chart so far this season, breaking down each conference, what they've done straight up against the spread and over-unders. And I was certainly surprised that uh, 
the AAC leads the way. They have gone 63.9% against the spread against their non-conference foes. The Big 12, 62.1%. And the Mountain West, I guess there's no surprise in the Mountain West. We, you know, we knew what they did week 0-1-1 with Hawaii winning and with Boise winning and, you know, all the upsets the Mountain West pulled, Wyoming. Uh, they're 61.1% against the spread. You look at uh, you look at the flip side, though. You know, you look at some of these MAC teams; they're horrendous. You look at some of these CUSA teams; they're horrendous. Well, again, non-conference games: CUSA forty point nine against the spread, and the MAC in non-conference games thirty seven point five against the spread. As far as totals go, the only thing that jumps out in it, and it, this completely leaps off the board, the American. Athletic Conference, the AAC, in their non-conference games, has gone 11-25-1 over-under. So 25 of the 36 non-conference games with AAC members has gone under the total. That's certainly something worth noting. And we appreciate all of your comments and feedback. I recognize right now that the live lines that are showing as we are speaking our lines from last week's games, that is a problem they are working on correcting, but we appreciate the feedback. Thanks for the live updates. We do appreciate that. Let's get into some big game breakdowns right here, right now. We'll start with Thursday night football. The Green Bay Packers, minus four and a half, total of 45 against the Philadelphia Eagles. And Aaron Rodgers, 93 pass attempts, zero INTs so far this season. but. For all the success that Green Bay has had, and their defenses looked dominant through the first three ball games, this offense hasn't really clicked for four quarters yet. Green Bay is not running the football effectively, and while Rodgers hasn't thrown a pick, we also haven't seen uh, this Packers team come together with that one game. You're like, all right, they figured it out. They figured out Matt LaFleur. Philly still banged up, but they could get a couple of key contributors back before traveling to Lambeau Field on Thursday night. What's your take? Packers and Eagles, we've seen some national TV duds. We've seen some ugly games on Thursday night. Is this likely to be another one, Ralph? Well, again, this depends on the injury report. I mean, when you're missing your top two wide receivers, uh, you know, you're going to struggle. And yes, they put up 373 yards against Detroit. But again, it was down to the scoreboard where they couldn't hold the Lions out. I, I'm still a fan of this Packers defense. You know, the Chicago game was ugly, yes. The Minnesota game, Minnesota was moving the ball, but the Packers did what they had to do, keeping them out of the end zone, that red zone defense. And then again, Denver, again, you're talking Joe Flacco and and not exciting, but, you know, in each of those games – they haven't been trailing. That's the difference. You know, the Bears game was 7-7 at halftime. The Minnesota game, they led 21-10. The Denver game, 17-10. So that allows Aaron Rodgers to have a completely different mentality. Uh, I think uh, I think Rodgers is going to struggle when he gets behind early. So to me, this is a live betting situation where if the Packers get the early lead, even if Philly has one of their wide receivers back, I would back the Packers. If the Eagles get the early lead, I expect we'll see Aaron Rodgers not up to the level he's been the last three games. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at Philly in that ball game. Uh, plus the points. Green Bay and Chicago were tied at three at the half, weren't they? Uh, you said they were tied at seven, but the Bears didn't get. Excuse to seven me. Yeah, tied game. at yeah. yeah. Since yeah. since no, the score right, was ten three, yeah, it was only three. <laughs> that's the beauty of going live, man. And you know we're. We are both human. We will both make mistakes on occasion. And when we do, we hope to correct them right away as opposed to leaving you guys thinking that we don't know what we're talking about. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. Let's talk Thursday night college football, Memphis and Navy. And this is an interesting game. Memphis minus 10 and a half, total of 55 at home against the Middies. And it's a Navy squad that was supposed to be way down this year. And everyone's talking about the Navy program uh, under Ken Niumatatolo has. You know, it reached its peak, and now it's going back down the other side, and Navy's a bet against all the way. But we haven't actually seen that on the field. And when you look at this series history, Memphis hasn't exactly been lighting it up against Navy in recent seasons. They're laying double digits on Thursday night TV game, the Tigers and the Midshipmen. Well, you know, you look at this game, and, and you have to you have to look at the scheduling spot. Um, you know, last year, Memphis went to Navy. Uh, they held Navy to 316 yards, a great performance. Now you get the benefit of having this on Thursday. So you have the extra prep to prep for the option. On the flip side, yes, Navy did gain 468 yards, but that was against East Carolina at home. We only have the Holy Cross game and the East Carolina game to look at. When I look at an option team, I'd much rather play against them early in the season. If you look back at Navy historically, their O-line performs much better the second half of the season. They get their timing down. The quarterbacks and running backs get their timing down. The running back knows when to cut with O-line blocks. So early in the season, I'd much prefer to play against an option and getting extra time to prep against the option is something Memphis has the benefit of doing. With that said, I, you know, I think the number is where it should be. I won't be on either side of this game as far as the play goes. Yeah, I mean, if I had to play it, I would look at Navy Plus. But one of the, if not the biggest edge that we have over the bookmaker, they have to put out lines for every single game. Sides, totals, first half, second half. You know what we have to do? We have to find one mistake and bet it. <laughs> it's not about peppering the board. It's about finding value. And this is a spot I'm with you. I'm not likely to get involved with Memphis and Navy on Thursday night. However, this one for Friday night I'm interested in. Virginia Tech, it's saying minus two and a half. The Hokies have been taking money all day. Number right now for Virginia Tech is significantly higher than that. I'm seeing, well, I guess threes. I thought it was up to three and a half, but just threes. But Hokies minus three, total of 52 against Duke. And I'll tell you what, I've seen Virginia Tech play a couple times this year. I don't want to lay points with the Hokies. Do you? Well, I'll tell you what. I uh, I was wrong week one against Boston College. I leaned Virginia Tech. I was wrong week two. I thought the Hokies would blow out Old Dominion. What happens? 31-17. I said, there's no question Virginia Tech is going to blow out Furman. What happens? 24-17, 350 yards at home against Furman is not an offense I could count on. You know, Ryan Willis, a 7-4 ratio. You've played Boston College, Old Dominion, and Furman, and you have a 7-4 ratio. You've played Boston College, Old Dominion, and Furman. Your offense is rushing for 3.7 yards per carry. 
You've played Boston College, Old Dominion, and Furman. You've allowed seven sacks. Again, not a game I'm going to be on, but certainly I couldn't lay with Virginia Tech. Uh, hey, and Duke's win against Middle Tennessee was a good win. On the road, a decent team. Quinton Harris, uh, a couple mistakes early, but again, completing a lot of passes. And a rush attack, I think, uh, you know, having that dual threat with Quinton Harris, who leads the team in rushing and passing, is is something that Virginia Tech hasn't seen on the defensive side so far. Uh, I personally think Duke is the better of those two teams. I'm going to have the better team catching points. I'm always interested. Another one for Friday night. Penn State laying points on the road at Maryland in College Park. Penn State minus six and a half, total of 59. The Terps had that ugly two blowout wins and then a really ugly game against Temple. Which Maryland team do we see this week? I'll tell you what. This has not been a competitive series of late. Penn State has annihilated that team in recent meetings. And being that both squads recruit the same area, James Franklin's not going to take it easy on uh, Maryland. He'll run up the score if he gets the chance. You know, I'm impressed with the Pitt defense. Yeah, UCF got a lot of points this past week, but, you know, when Penn State struggled against Pitt, that didn't surprise me. This is the first road game, so we're going to see what Sean Clifford can do. Only completing 59% of his passes so far this year. Uh, but the Maryland team, what they did against Temple really did surprise me. But, you know, that's another situation where, you know, they beat a Syracuse team that had popped up in the AP 25. Then were giving love to Maryland uh, going into Temple. This is a game where I, I'm going to call for another low-scoring game. When you have your first conference games here, the offenses tend to be much more conservative wanting to start off conference play with a 1-0 record. When we come back here on Wager Talk, Ralph and I are going to go into a deep dive. College football futures, not to win the championship, to win the conferences. That's the bet to make. Stay tuned right here on Wager Talk. Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Watch out. Watch out. Welcome back to Wager Talk. Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. It is deep dive time. We have eight conferences with odds that we need to get through in the next 14 minutes. So, Ralph, let's get right into it. We are not going to talk about who's going to win the national title. I think there are maybe seven teams that are alive, four from the SEC. You know, LSU, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, they're live. Ohio State's live. Oklahoma's live. Uh, Clemson's live. That's it. Maybe someone else can steal a game or two. But all of those teams are priced appropriately. You will not find any bargains in the national championship market. When it comes to the conferences, sometimes you can find some stuff. Let's start with the ACC. Clemson, minus 600 to win the ACC title game. Miami's 15 to 1. Virginia's 12 to 1. Pitt's 40 to 1. North Carolina's 30 to 1. Wake, 50 to 1. Uh, anybody interest you other than the favorite in this one? Or is Clemson pretty much writing their own ticket to the ACC title game? You know, interestingly, Virginia was picked to win by the coaches. I didn't have them as the best team. But, you know, I do want to mention this, just a handicapping note. You know, Virginia's 2-0 and 
And they have a road game at Miami of Florida next week. So they're going to Notre Dame this week. Their priorities can may clearly be looking ahead to that Miami game. So something you have to look at at the schedule. I don't have anyone in the ACC just because if you get to the Clemson game, you're going to be such a big dog. There's not that possibility to hedge back. And the other issue is that if you think someone can beat Clemson, you don't have to worry about it now. You'll be able to find a 10 to 1 uh, on that team in the title game itself. So I'm with you. This is not a conference that I'm interested in making a bet on who's going to win it all right now. In the Big 12, might be a little different. Oklahoma is the chalk. They're minus 180. Texas plus 450. Iowa State's 10 to 1. TCU 40 to 1. Baylor and Okie State and Kansas State all 20 to 1. Are there any dogs in this conference that we're looking at? Or is Oklahoma going to write their ticket and win the Big 12 championship game? come the first Saturday of December. Well, I, I did play Iowa State early. Now, you know, down to 10 to 1, we've lost some of the value. Uh, the team that I'm looking at is Baylor. I picked Baylor to finish third in the division. You know, they've played the sister of the poor uh, schedule so far. They've played the lowest power five schedule and number 125 out of 130 teams. We're going to learn again, learn a lot against uh, Iowa State this weekend. But I, I, you know, I think between Baylor and Iowa State, if you sprinkle a few fun bucks on it, uh, I think Oklahoma has a shot with a few injuries to perhaps allow someone back in at the end of the year. And I wouldn't sell Texas short. I know the markets haven't been high on the Longhorns. I think they're live against Oklahoma anytime that they play. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I don't think they get blown out in that ball game. The Big Ten is a big conference. Lots of teams to talk about here. And basically right now, the betting markets are telling us this is a two-team race. I'm using odds, by the way, from the Circus Sportsbook here in Las Vegas. You can certainly find comparable odds throughout New Jersey, Pennsylvania, et cetera, et cetera. Just look on your app and make sure that you get involved by getting some accounts at places that have lines like this. So uh, in the Big Ten right now, Ohio State's at even money, plus 100, you know, dollar for dollar, you get back on the Buckeyes if they win the Big Ten championship game. Wisconsin at plus 275. Everyone else is 10 to 1 or higher. That's Michigan at 10 to 1. Iowa, Nebraska, Penn State, Michigan State, all at 15 to 1. What about Sparty, man? Is Sparty worth a shot at 15 to 1? Are they even possibly live? Or is there someone besides Ohio State or Wisconsin that you think is live here? No, but I do have a long shot that, uh, you know, I liked at the beginning of the season. They've looked as ugly as any team in the conference, but uh, Minnesota at 60 to one. I mean, I think P.J. Fleck can still turn this team around. You know, people look at Minnesota and say, oh, my God, you only beat South Dakota State by seven. You only beat Fresno State by three. You had to come back and score late to beat Georgia Southern by three. But with that said, they're still three and oh. They don't play Ohio State. They don't play Michigan. You get Wisconsin at home. You get Penn State at home. You get Nebraska at home. I'm going to take a flyer and, hey, on my fun money, play a little bit on the Gophers. And that's the one that stood out to me, Ralph. So you used him before I did. But absolutely. And the fact, I mean, if you watched either of the last two games, the game against uh, Georgia Southern or against Fresno, they had a choice. I mean, they had a choice. But, I mean, they were on the ropes. All right, they've been punched, and I'm always interested in how a team's going to respond. And you know what Minnesota did in both those ball games? They punched back. 
and they executed down the stretch in some difficult circumstances. In both of those ball games, that old expression, oh, they know how to win. Minnesota knows how to win. And at 60 to 1, you're in all kinds of position to hedge if the situation is appropriate. Conference USA. We've got Marshall as the favorite, plus 170. Southern Miss is plus 350. Then the likes of Florida Atlantic, North Texas at 6 to 1, and a bunch of long shots. Anything stand out to you from CUSA and the odds that we're seeing right now? Well, you know, I. I I might have taken a flyer on UAB if they were hosting North Texas the final game of the season instead of going to North Texas. Uh, You know, right now I'm I'm pulling up my power rankings, Teddy, and I'm just going to read them. You know, my top teams as far as my power rankings go are Marshall and Southern Miss are tied. La Tech two points behind them. Florida Atlantic two and a half points behind them, North Texas three and a half points behind them, and UAB five points behind them. But you know, with with all those favorites clumped down in that six to one or less, there's no one I would play in in the CUSA. And UAB is such an interesting story because their team is like Navy. Everyone thought way down this year, way down. They lost everybody, but the coach stayed, and the program appears to be stable. And if you have a coach that's sticking around on a program that's stable, maybe there's some value on a UAB team that's been very good, ATS, in early season play they've overachieved compared to what the betting markets have expected. The SEC, I mean, you want to talk a juggernaut. <laughs> Alabama, uh, you have to lay 11 to win 10 to win the SEC. Then there's Georgia, plus 250, LSU, plus 400, Auburn at plus 1,500. Does anyone else lie? Florida's 15 to 1. Everyone else is 100 to 1 or higher in this conference. Uh, so there's basically the market is saying there's five teams that have any chance. Auburn at 15 to 1, LSU at 4 to 1. Do either of those stand out to you, or is this all Alabama all the time? Well, let me ask you this. You know, you brought up you brought up Auburn with the question to me. And at you know, you're hosting Alabama right now. You're supposed to be, I, I think it was a 12 point favorite at the beginning of the year. It would be less than that. I, I believe now at this point, you know, what would, what would the money line be to, to win that game at home? So is there enough value to say, yes, I want to take this, or is it worth with Auburn seeing if you can get through the gauntlet of having to go to Florida and having to go to LSU and then hosting Georgia, even before you get to that game? Yeah, and then, of course, it's the SEC title game you have to win uh, after that. This is not a conference that I personally uh, i am going to be taking shots with, and neither is the next one, the Sun Belt, where uh, it's Appalachian State and Louisiana Lafayette. App State is plus 150. Lafayette is plus 175. Arkansas State's 8-1. to one, Troy and Georgia Southern both 12-1. to one. I guess you could take a flyer on Troy here at 12-1. to one. They might be live, but it really looks to me like App State and Lafayette are the class. Uh, of this conference and everything after those two, something of a long shot. Well, my power ratings have App State seven points better than anyone else with Lafayette being second. I've been impressed with Lafayette. And I'll tell you what, uh, I'm going to give props to App State too. You know, losing Satterfield, I thought was something that was going to be difficult. Uh, Dirk Wentz, the NC State Guy comes over, and what does he do? He knocks off North Carolina. Knocking off Big Brother is a big deal. We'll see if they stay composed as a big favorite against Coastal Carolina this week. 
And one thing that when we're talking about the sunbelts of the world, the max of the world, in my opinion, the way to make money in those conferences is you find one or two bet on teams, you find one or two bet against teams, and that's what you're trying to do. There appears to be in many games, in many, there's a little bit more randomness when it comes to smaller conference college football. The rosters aren't as deep. The officiating isn't as good. Uh, and you see more games that deviate from the point spread, way from the point spread, uh, than you will in the major conferences. So with that level of randomness, I tend to look, I want the elite teams or I want the bottom feeders. That's what I'm focusing on in conferences like the Sun Belt. Plenty of bottom feeders you can focus on in that conference. Two more to talk about, the Pac-12 and the AAC. Let's start with the Pac-12, where Oregon is the chalk, per se. They're plus 145, so they're not actually chalk. Uh, but Oregon, a plus 145. Washington, plus 450. USC, plus 450. After the upset over Utah, Utah, plus 600. Everyone else in the conference at 20 to 1 or higher. So the markets are saying it's the Huskies, the Ducks, the Utes or the Trojans, any of those four teams stand out to you? Or is there a long shot here, an Arizona State, uh, a Colorado, a Cal at 20 to 1, a Wazoo at 20 to 1 that stands out to you in the Pac-12? Yeah, well, Cal was the one. You know, you're 20 to 1 and you already had, you know, the Washington win on the road. That's a W in in your in your uh, on your side. But you look at Cal, I mean, anytime you can have a top 15 D, and I believe Cal is a top 15 D, uh, you know, your your main game is going to be you're at Oregon and you're at Utah. So it's it's difficult. At the beginning of the year, I would have never bet Cal because you had to go to Washington and win. You had to go to Utah and win. You had to go to Oregon and win. You're playing your top three teams on the road. But, you know, weirder things have happened. You have one win in because of the lightning storms and the three-hour delay. Uh, the defense shows me they can hold anyone down if Chase Garbers can start completing a few passes downfield. I'm going to give Cal a small flyer play. And look, Cal's offense was better last week than it's been, which is some improvement. Is that, you know, I mean, that offense has been inept for extended stretches. Last week, they put the biscuit in the basket a couple of times, and that's certainly a good sign for Cal moving forward, especially if you got a 20-to-1 ticket on the Bears in your pocket or you're thinking about making one today. One more to talk about. Let's talk about the AAC championship game. And here, UCF is chalk, minus 135. The Dogs, SMU, plus 700. Memphis, plus 700. Cincinnati, a plus 700. Tulane. 10 to 1, everyone else at 25 to 1 or higher. And I'll tell you what, if you want to take a flyer, you know, UCF again, minus 135, solid. We know how good the team is, but you're getting some very attractive prices on some pretty good underdogs in this conference. SMU just beat TCU for one example. Yeah, uh, again, when you have Shane Bouchella quarterback for SMU, the Texas transfer, he hasn't playing legit. I'll tell you what, I you know, Cincinnati, everyone remembers the the 42 nothing loss to Ohio State. Well, you know, we've already seen that that's not that bad of a loss. Hey, you just got Steel Road against an in-state opponent that didn't look past you and you they were by far the better team. They host UCF in 2 weeks. Uh, you know, if there's a little inclement weather, we saw UCF again go to Pitt, 
lost having to make that long road trip up north. The weather starts cooling a little bit, some inclement weather. Uh, I picked Cincinnati at the beginning of the year as a long shot. I'm going to stay with them. And the interesting thing, the most interesting thing about the AAC championship game is that UConn is not the biggest long shot. East Carolina and USF, both bigger long shots than a god-awful UConn team that might not win a game this year. We'll be right back here on Wager Talk, and you don't want to miss our final segment. Stick around. Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. We're here in the home stretch of Wager Talk. Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. We like to call this segment Betting 101, giving you useful info that's not game related necessarily, but info that you can use not just today. But moving forward, and Ralph, you've got a great tidbit here talking about teams that were outgained in college football, but won the game straight up. What do we do with those teams? Take it away, Mr. Michael. Now, again, I'm going to put an asterisk on this and say, you know, I'm going to give you the teams that were outgained, but won the game last week. And so far this year in the college football season, they are 11 and 18 against the spread. So you want to fade those teams. But again, as we talked about in the first segment, there are times when a team gets out to a big lead that they're going to get out gained because of defensive and special teams touchdowns. So it takes a little work to tweak this. Check out these teams. Check which ones deserve to win the game because of the way the game went. And check which ones perhaps got fortunate to win the game uh, and were out gained. The teams for this week that were out gained but won the game last week, California, Penn State, Appalachian State, UCLA, and Auburn, NC State, Iowa, Buffalo, Virginia, and Kansas State, and finally SMU, Syracuse, Arkansas State, and USC. It's something we'll monitor for you as we move forward. So far, again, 11 and 18 against the spread, playing against those teams that won, but were outgained. So the concept here is those are misleading final scores, not fully fraudulent necessarily, but misleading in the sense of the team that won was not necessarily the team that dominated in the trenches or dominated on the field. And therefore, moving forward, those teams like a notch or two overvalued. So the list Ralph just gave you was a bet against list, not a bet on list for college football this year coming weekend that's gonna wrap it up thank you for spending time out of your busy day to hang out with ralph and i we appreciate it we'll do it again tomorrow right here on wager talk on the sports grid tv network cheers best of luck enjoy the game we'll be back in 23 hours